0: Hi, my name is Damali Edwards, and I've been with the Bible Chapel for about a year and a half, going on two years. It's been amazing because we're new in this neighborhood. I moved um, probably a year and a half ago, just about when I started here. And I was feeling very sick, and I was stressed, and I have a strange family around the neighborhood that wasn't taking part in my family. And I was such at a brittle time in my life that all I really needed was a hug and spiritual support. And that's exactly what I got on the first day. Community is a big word. To me, it means just caring, open to love, open hearted. Um, community is good morning. I see these kids daily. And you know, dancing and singing with them and just being a part of it. You know, that is that is what community is. You know, when when their mom's not there, I'm their mom, You know, I'm there on the streets when someone's bothering them. They don't, it doesn't extend to just Sunday. That is community.
1: Don't you love the way Demali describes community? Caring. Open to love. Open hearted. Sometimes as simple as a good morning. And did you hear what Damali said? It's not just Sundays coming together and worshiping together where we're gather, whether we are gathering together here in the South Hills or whether we are in uh, Wilkinsburg or whether we're in Robinson or whether we are in Washington or whether we're online. It's not joining together just one time. As Damali said, when their mother not there, what? I'm their mother. <laughs> I'm there with those kids on the streets. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to watch out for them. And that's what we've been talking about. Community is that we have each other's back. We're watching out for each other. We're caring for each other. We're making certain that there is is protection and accountability and encouragement around uh, each of us. That's what it means to be a part of a community. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. In this series on community, we've been taking... Uh, Paul's letters, and we've been taking from his letters things he addresses regarding community. There are challenges in every uh, church. There were from the first days. And Paul uh, addresses these challenges. Ephesians is one book where he never addresses a challenge in particular, but he gives us some significant instruction all the way through. If you look at the book of Ephesians, there are six chapters, the first three are theological. Paul is telling us who Jesus is and God's love for us and that God chose us before the foundation of the world to be his own. He reminds his readers of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And then in chapter 3, verse 14, he kind of closes this theological section with this. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom His whole family in heaven and earth derives this name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of, of all the fullness of God. And then he concludes it with this kind of this doxology. Sometimes we use it as a benediction. Not to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now Paul knows that theology is lived out in real life. And so he gets very practical in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And one of the things he talks about in chapter 5 is the family, because it doesn't get any more practical than that. Paul says within this larger community called the church, the called out ones, the ecclesia, there is this unit, this smaller unit called the family. And every community will be as strong as family, just as a chain will be as strong as its links. And that's why in the church, we may have to make sure we talk about what marriage means, what family means, so that we can have strong families in order to raise our children in a way that honors God. And again, the strength of the community is just as strong as each family. We're going to see today a passage of Scripture where Paul sets forth the roles Of husband and wife, but I want to be quick to say that all you young adults and singles here, you are not left out of this instruction. First of all, I know many of you, I most of you want to get married. And so you need to know who you should be looking for in a spouse. What is the man? What are the characteristics of a man that you want to marry? What's the characteristics of a woman you want to marry? Critical material instruction for you. And second of all, Single and married alike, we're in this thing together. And so we have to hold each other accountable as we go through life and do marriage. I also know that some of you are divorced. And um, you've gone through some challenging times, some difficult times, some hard times. And this message, Paul's instruction, is certainly not to rub salt in your wounds. I also know that most people who are divorced get married again. And I also know that the percentage of divorce in second marriages goes up significantly. Third marriage is up again. You see, as the old country song says, wherever you, are, wherever you go, there you are, right? You can run from yourself, but you won't get far. And the first thing you have to say is, you know what? Maybe... I didn't want this th- divorce to happen, and maybe the other person kind of pulled the trigger at the end, but i gotta, I got to own my part in the relationship. And when you own your part in the relationship and you can deal with it, then you, you won't carry that stuff into the next relationship. Some of you are separated. And we're going to pray today that God will soften your heart and or your spouse's heart because we want you to get back together. By the way, if you're separated, you are still married You are not on the market. Dating is not allowed. And you need to make sure that you do everything you possibly can with the Holy Spirit's help to make your fight fight for your marriage. Now, the specific instruction for husband and wife begins in chapter 5, verse 22. But some important instruction takes place before that. Let's set the tone. Look at chapter 5. Verse 18, Paul says this, a familiar verse for many of you, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Paul uses this kind of this this earthy example for the spiritual truth. Don't be drunk with wine. Everyone either has experienced that or seen someone going through it. And when a person is drunk with wine, they are controlled by an outward substance. They're not controlling their body anymore. That wine, beer, alcohol is controlling them. Don't do that, Paul says. It leads to things you don't want to do, debauchery. Instead, don't, don't let that external thing control you. Instead, let the Spirit who lives inside you as a believer control you. That's what the word filled means. Be controlled by the Spirit. Now, a lot of times, the work of the Spirit is a one-time-for-all-time event. When we, when we read in uh, the Bible, we are baptized by the Spirit. That's one time for all time. That happens one time. And baptism, as we'll see in a few weeks with water baptism, identifies us with Christ. In water baptism, outwardly, we go into the water, identifying with the death of Christ, under resurrection, out, sorry, under burial, out resurrection, Well, spirit baptism is not something we do, it's what the Spirit does to us. He identifies us one time for all time with Jesus Christ. He seals us one time for all time. The work He starts in us, He's going to finish. The Holy Spirit is the power that we have in our life. The filling of the Spirit is ongoing, it's in the present tense. Paul says, Keep on being filled by the Spirit keep on being controlled by the spirit keep on submitting yourself to the holy spirit who lives within you young adults and singles this passage is for all of your life but certainly it applies to relationships right by the way every passage regarding relationships in scripture starts with the marriage relationship first if if we're not doing what god tells us to do in relationships in the marriage first in marriage then then, then why are we doing it to strangers? Why are we on a planet as strangers if not our, in our marriage? And young adults and singles, this is for you. You need to make sure the Holy Spirit is controlling your thoughts, your emotions, your desires, your dreams. Holy Spirit, help me to be patient. Control me. Control my desires to be married. Help me to wait on the person you have for me. This is one area. I don't want to make a mistake. Certainly it applies to those who are married. Lord, my marriage, I want to submit it to you. I want you to control how I interact. I want you to control my attitudes, my words, my actions, my temptations. I want that to be the first prayer in my morning. Lord, control my day. I don't know what I'm going to go through today, but you do. Help me as I go into those situations. Help my words to be your words. Help my thoughts to be your thoughts. My desires to be your thoughts. Lord, I'm coming home. We're coming home from a long day of work. Help us to help, help me to, to have words that I want that, to, that, that, are, that are uplifting to my wife. Because let's face it, when we're tired, we can say some, some foolish things, can't we? We can have some bad answers. A friend who says, he says, when I'm tired, everybody else is stupid. And that's about right, isn't it? <laughs> when I'm tired, everybody else is kind of stupid. So, Lord, I'm tired. So, control my mind. Help me say the words I should say that don't hurt, Lori. but but build her up. So, first of all, we are to submit ourselves to God. That's the filling, that's the control of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 21. Submit ourselves to God, and then what's Paul say? Submit to one another. This thing called submission is found in Scripture 23 times. In Paul's letters, it means to to, uh, have a willingness to put aside our desires to those we consider worthy of respect. There, there, are, there are structures and, and laws that we live by that, that demand submission. How many of you like to stand in a long line at the grocery store? I don't see anybody, right? Oh, I see one person. Okay, great. Talk to you later. Um, <laughs> no one wants to stand in a long line at the grocery store. But there's this, there's this, there's this thing that says it is rude. If you cut in line. So we submit to that kind of that unspoken rule that we've learned. On the way here, I I had to submit to to some stoplights along the way. I didn't want to. A couple of them were just turning and I was tempted to keep going. But for my safety and the safety of others, I had to submit to them. And so we must submit to each other in our relationships. This has nothing to do with authority. It has everything to do with attitude. It simply means we are willing to not always have our way. We are willing to put aside some of our wants and our desires. And Paul says, do that, why? Out of what? Reverence for Christ. Do that because you love Jesus. Do that because you understand community. Do that because by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're willing to put down some things to build others up. By the way, the supreme example of submission is who? Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of Jesus Christ who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we're submit to God, we're submit to each other. And then Paul says, in the marriage relationship, there are these roles that we play, There are these assignments we have for a healthy relationship. Now, I want to say before I go through this, some parts of this passage have been abused by Christians. Let me say this, abused by Christians and abused by many who say they are Christians. Truth can always be abused. It doesn't make it a non-truth. And so, let's work through this to really understand what Paul is telling us in this passage. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. That verse is saying, those verses are saying, in the governance of a biblical marriage... The wife must voluntarily submit herself to the servant leadership of her husband. I know that's not politically correct. I know a lot of people gasp at the ancientness. Is that a word? The ancientness of that. And I know many people can point to it being abused. I get that. But I don't know how else to interpret it. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Now, first, we need to understand what submission is and what it's not, because our world takes it and flips it upside down and says, how archaic is that? What are you Christians thinking of? First of all, submission does not mean in any way that a wife is inferior to her husband in any way. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Galatians says in uh, chapter 3, so in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, to have clothed yourself with Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all what? One in Christ, at the foot of the cross, all equality. And this is what gets me. You find another religion where there's equality for women. You just find one. In the church, in the early church, we've shared this before, little girls in the Roman Empire, little girls were seen to be inferior, put out, little Leah would have been put out in the field to be exposed and die. Baby farmers would come and take them into prostitution and slavery. It was the church that said everyone is equal in God's sight. And they went out and got those little babies before the baby farmers got there and brought them in and raised them in the fear and the instruction of Jesus Christ and in the love of a home. It was Jesus who elevated women, talked with the woman at the well. It was Jesus who had women in his entourage. A lot of times we're reading Scripture and in the Gospels, and we see that Jesus was talking to his group of people, and then he says, "From that group, he brought the disciples uh, to the side. There were a bunch of people he were talking he, he talked to. Women are elevated in, by Jesus, in the church, in no way inferior. And it was Christianity that allowed that to happen through the years. Again, just look at countries that are controlled by other religions and see how women are treated secondly submission does not mean a wife loses her identity not at all by the way a christian woman's identity cannot be in her husband if you are trying to find your satisfaction and your meaning and your identity in your husband you're going to be disappointed every minute of every day you cannot find in another person what you can only find in jesus christ Your identity has to be in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says, in me, you are significant. I died for you. You've been created in the image of God. In me, you are secure. Nothing will ever snatch you out of my hand. In me, you are accepted. You are a daughter of the living God. In me, you are forgiven, cleansed. In me, you are empowered. I will give you everything you need to do what I'm calling you to do. Submission in no way means a woman loses her identity. And thirdly, submission in no way means that a woman becomes a a passive participant in a marriage relationship. Again, I know it's been abused wrongly, but in no way does it mean a woman is a passive participant. Every wife is a player in the relationship. Every decision is made together. There is an engagement in every decision never left out. By the way, when Peter gives the same instruction, who does he use as an example of biblical submission? You know who he uses? Sarah. Sarah and Abraham? Now, you go back in Genesis and read about Sarah. Sarah was anything but a passive wallflower. She was in the mix, she was making decisions. She was a bit cantankerous at times, she was a strong woman. Peter said, that's an example of a Christian woman. Now, sometimes she took matters into her own hands. Remember the maiden thing? And Abraham followed her lead. But she stuck with Abraham. That's why Peter uses her. One, it shows that you don't lose your identity. You don't you, you not have to be a wallflower. Strong personality in every decision. Sarah stuck with Abraham through the good and the bad, through disappointments, through difficulties, all the pressures of life. It's about attitude, right? Godly women, by the way, godly women don't go around telling other people, "Eh, I'm just submitting to my husband on that. It's between you and your husband, it's in the context of marriage. It's not about telling people about it, it's about an attitude. Now, maybe our culture would say, this, this was cultural. This is in the Old Testament. We're not there anymore. I mean, this was in the early church. We're not there anymore. That's, you know, it's archaic. Our culture doesn't do that. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is a savior. In other passages, this headship is based on what? Anyone know? Not culture. Creative order. Adam was created first and then Eve. It's based on the creative order. And when a family comes together and does things God's way, they're gonna be honored by that. Think of it this way. Think of think of it in business terms a president and a vice president. You are in it together. You are working through every decision together. You are communicating together. You are in agreement on how you are developing your team, raising your children. You're in agreement regarding finances. By the way, money is one of the things that blows up a marriage. You're in agreement as you go along. You are side by side. You are hand in hand. You are heart in heart. And at the end of the day, it is the husband who is finally and fully responsible to give an account to God for the family. Why? certainly you're held accountable for your role and your responsibility, and it is significant. You're going to be nurturing your children and ministering them in a way your husband never could, but he will finally be responsible. He will stand before God, and he will look him in the eye and say, I put you in leadership of that home. How'd you do? In governance of a biblical marriage, the wife must voluntarily submit herself to the servant leadership of her husband. That's the key word, servant leadership. When men are servant leaders, it's really, it's a non-issue. So what is servant leadership? Let's talk about that. By the way, this is why living together doesn't work. If you're not a believer, it sounds kind of like the thing to do, right? I don't buy a tire unless I don't buy a car unless I try it out. But it doesn't work in this relationship because this relationship is about commitment. This is not about a relationship. Let's just see how it works, and uh, let's see how, how we get along, and then uh, if we don't like it, we'll just uh, we'll just separate. We'll go our different ways. By the way, living together is based on sex. I don't care what you tell me. And when someone comes and they're living together and they want to be married here, we say, okay, time out. We love, we love you too much. We love you too much to sanction your sin. So you separate for a period. We'll talk about that and we'll figure out that time. And let's see if you're still together because you based your relationship on something that's not healthy. Then let's do this thing. right. Let's do it God's way. The percentage of of divorce for couples who live together before they are married is off the charts. It does, it, it, it research proves it does not work. Servant leadership in the husband. What's that look like? First, there is sacrificial love. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Just as Jesus sacrificed himself for the church, so husbands, sacrifice yourself for your wives. Men, I do not know what that's going to look like in your particular situation. It may mean some sacrifices to your, your, your uh, job path. You may not want to move your family all around the country all the time. It may mean some um, differences, some sacrifices in your status. Size of your home, car you drive, finances. It may mean sacrificing your hobbies or recreation, some dreams you have. I know a lot of guys who would give their lives for their wives, but they're not willing to sacrifice their golf game for their wives. So I don't know what it means for you, but I know this. Just as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for for us, so husbands need to sacrifice for their wives. Secondly, a sanctifying love. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. To be holy means to be set apart. It means to bear the shining splendor of the glory of God. Jesus is the only one who can make us holy by his work on the cross, positionally holy. I believe this uh, instruction is saying you need to make sure you Have an atmosphere in your home, men, that allows your wife to grow spiritually. Encourage her to grow spiritually. Help her grow spiritually. Pray with her. Have devotions with her. Worship together with her. By the way, don't allow service in the church to split you up as a family. Worship together. You're taking communion together. You're learning together. You're singing songs together. And you do that together, and then you want to do that privately as well. We need to be those who understand that we have to, that we have to set our family apart. The president of the company will finally be held responsible for the development of the vice president and everybody else in the, in the, in the company. And so this divine corporation called the marriage gives husbands that responsibility. Sacrificial love, sanctifying love, nourishing love. Look at verse 28. In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own body, he who loves his wife, uh, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. And I guarantee you, if you are hungry, what do you do? You get something to eat. If you're hurt, what do you do? You go get it fixed. You get it x-rayed. You get it checked out. In the same way we care for our own body, Paul says we should care for our wives. No one ever hates his own body. We can't deny that. And We are to nourish our wives. And we are to, we are, we are to, we are to make sure that we are doing the things in our marriage relationship that nourishes that relationship. I'm going to say this. I've said this before, but guys, some of you run businesses. Some of you, you when I stand up here, man, I stand before the movers and shakers in Pittsburgh. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to say this in the right way. I'm proud uh, to be a part of this church because when I go uh, downtown and talk to businessmen, they always say, hey, do you know so-and-so? Man, that guy, he's, he's a sharp guy. He's a godly guy. He's a moral guy. He's a guy of integrity. He goes to your church, not my church. He goes to the Bible chapel. I love that. That happens all the time. So some some of you guys who run businesses, man, you will travel the world doing conferences and retreats and you'll bring in consultants and you'll spend all kinds of money building your business. But some of you will not spend one weekend to go to a marriage retreat to build your marriage. Some of you will not go to the uh, class we're doing on Wednesday nights in Washington to build your marriage. Why is it? Why do we have it so upside down that we are willing to travel the world to build our business that one day will rust, rot, and decay? We will not take it to eternity with us, but this thing called marriage will have eternal impact. We've got to be smarter than that. <laughs> Nourishing love has to be a part of the relationship. Last one satisfying love. Look at chapter 5, verse 31. This verse is first in Genesis, repeated by by Christ in the Gospels here in in Ephesians. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. We have whole classes on this in the marriage enrichment stuff. First of all, a man will leave his father and his mother. Some marriages struggle because uh, a 50-year-old husband and a 50-year-old wife have not left mommy and daddy yet. And that's got to break. You still love them. You still care for them. But your primary relationship is now with your husband or wife. They would be united together. I love that word, united together. It's used three times in Scripture. One time it's used for the skin and clinging to the bones. That's pretty united, isn't it? And one time it's used as a warrior who has fought so long and so hard, his hand is frozen to his sword. He can't let it go. Paul says that's the type of relationship you have. Frozen together. You cannot let each other go. Will there be challenges? You bet. Any marriage perfect? Not mine. But when there's a commitment there to do it God's way, you say, what? Divorce is not an option. We're in a room here, and there are no doors or windows. We're going to kill each other, or we're going to make it work, one or the other, because we can't get out of this thing. A satisfying love. There's that one flesh relationship spiritually together emotionally together, missionally together, going the same way, same time for the same reasons, and physical. Sex is powerful. It is powerful for the mind, the body, and the soul. And when approached and expressed in a healthy way, it is a recommitment of the marriage relationship every time. So powerful is this part of the relationship that Paul addresses it just as practically as he can in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Check this out, verse 3. 1 Corinthians 7, 3, the husband should fulfill his marital duty. Paul's talking about the sexual relationship. His marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone but also to her husband, in the same way the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer and then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I mean, how practical is that? Paul is saying you are married to each other. God created this thing called sex. Satisfy each other. It's your responsibility to satisfy each other. And Paul says, even if you abstain, just do it for a time and do it for a spiritual reason. And Paul says, when you're done, get back together. Lest Satan tempt you in a vulnerable area of your life. See, a Christian husband who is in the battle to lead his family and honor God, desperately needs a wife who believes in him and who can see in him what he can become by the grace of God. Christian woman who is in the battle to nurture her family and honor God desperately needs a husband who is a servant leader, commits his life to love and serve God her, and their family. Your children and your grandchildren desperately need to see the examples of men and women willing to submit themselves to the control of the Holy Spirit in their lives and in their marriage, to stay together for 50-plus years and to show to their children. This can be done. You can do it. I'll show you, I'll show you how. It's not easy. It's challenging. But by the grace of God. You can fulfill the commitment you made. When you stood up before people. Voluntarily. Getting ready to go to the reception. And said. Remember. For better or what sometimes it's the worst for richer or poor. sometimes there's some challenges in sickness and in health that happens until what death do us part now since no one here is dead that applies to all of us right before we close I want to challenge you who are married Do not give up. Stick with it. Do whatever you need to do with the power of the... You have, as a Christian marriage, you have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. Do what you need to do to make it work. Get the counseling you need. That's what the community is about. We have opportunities to help you in the challenges of life, and this may be a challenge at this particular time for goodness sake, don't have so much pride that you're unwilling to get help because that's going to bite you and it's going to bite your heart. Do marriage in a way that we can, that we can say, here's what Christian marriage looks like. Some of you are divorced and you may feel like, Man, you just you ruined my day. The worship was good and it went downhill for me from there. You're like rubbing salt in my wounds. And I'm, I never apologize for God's word. But I'm sorry for some of the things you've been through. Some of you did not want it to happen at all. You did everything you possibly could. Now I'm going to tell you this, and some of you will not like this. Whenever someone comes and they want to get remarried and they've been divorced, we're going to talk with them and we're going to see if there is any way that they can restore that first commitment they made and i challenge you if you're divorced if there's any way you can restore we had there were 3 couples last year who were divorced and they regained they they, they got married again and that's just God's power. That's God's strength. The Holy Spirit who lives within you, who raised Christ from the dead, can, can put life back into your marriage. If you're separated, man, use this time. but Do not date. You're not divorced. You have no biblical grounds to be on the market. Do everything you can in your power to make peace and ask the Holy Spirit to help you restore that relationship. You see, God's testimony is at at stake. The world looks on and says, why do we care how we redefine marriage? You Christians who you talk about having the Holy Spirit living in you, you can't keep your marriages together. Your families are at stake. Don't you dare tell me it's better for your kids. Don't do that. Because I'll point you to secular research and you'll see that it's not. Do everything you can to do what you need to do. And one more thing singles and young adults. If you buy a blue car and you really wanted a white car, that's just a mistake. But if you get the wrong spouse, there's no trade-ins on that one. And you got to make sure, by God's grace, that you're walking with Him so that you can see clearly the person He has for you.